Welcome everybody to Blue Rain Gallery Podcast. Um, today in the studio we have fantastic, extraordinary landscape artist, Catherine Stedham. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's nice to have you. <laughs> it's taken us a long time to do it, so that's nice. So Catherine, I always start everybody off with the beginning of our journeys. Oh, I'd like you to say or tell us where you were born or were you raised and any influences in your early childhood. We want to talk a little bit about the evolution, your journey into painting. Uh, you talk about your travels and all the wonderful things you've done in your life. I was born in Seoul, South Korea in 1969. Um, I grew up mostly in the mid-Atlantic area, Norfolk, Virginia. So um, I spent a great deal of time with my grandparents growing up and they lived in South Georgia. And my grandfather was a uh, kind of a tinkerer, but he, he mostly made furniture and he did toll painting, you know, the old school kind of painting on furniture type of thing and also sign painting. Oh. And so he was my early introduction into oil painting and actually happened quite young. I think I was like four years old and he opened some cap of oil paint and I remember hitting my, my, my senses, the smell of the oil smell paint. Of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it never changed. It was like an affinity from the, the, the get go. So um, I started out doing art with him from a very young age, and they're kind of um, my dad was ex out of the military. Um, he was actually in Korea when I was born there, and, and that's what we were doing there. Um, but he worked for a company. You know, back in the day, you work in a, for a company and you'd work there for 40 years. So it was like um, a, a company, flowers baking company, and he mm. was been there for you know many many years and retired. My mother was a landscape designer. She worked for landscape. Um, she worked for Jack Nicholas. Um, Jack oh, Nicholas really? Horses, <laughs> and she did. She had her own flower business, wholesale flower business, that kind of thing. She was really successful in that area. So I grew up sailing and doing that. And so what happened? Two, a couple things happened with sailing. Is my parents would say, "Well, what do you want?" And I was crazy about horses because I had seen a horse someone had, and I say, "I want a horse," and I never got the horse. And so I think in my view of things, I wanted to be in the mountains and I wanted to have a horse and my parents want to go sailing. And I was kind of like, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed it even more as an adult because then I could appreciate it. But as a child, it was just something we did. It wasn't that special because my parents wanted us to do it. So as soon, as soon as I got, the first chance I got, I went running for the mountains. So I made a big shift and um, at some point I ended up in West Virginia and actually rock climbing and mm. uh, hiking and trail running and uh, everything, great outdoors was um, in the mountains enjoying the... When I think about Appalachia, um, I think about those big rattlesnakes that live out there, man, because they're oh, huge. <laughs> there's some big timber there's rattlers. Big, yeah, those timber rattlesnakes, man, freaking big. <laughs> they're beautiful. <laughs> they are, and they're big. big. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. So you had some experience on the outdoor life. Um, you, you wanted to get to um, a horse someday, maybe? Is that how it was, maybe aspirational? Yes, I kind of actually, I kind of lo lost sight of that dream because I actually wanted a horse and we did actually have property at one point when I was young for a horse. And the story goes in my family is I wanted a horse, my sister wanted a horse. Instead, we got two cows. No. Hmm. So go figure. What kind of cows? I don't remember. Were they, they were, you know, about clothes. I know. I remember they were just black, black and white cows. I was young, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so we and we did have a little farm when I was was growing up, and then we went and we moved to Virginia, and then that's when we started sailing. And uh, my parents really never looked back from that. Um, I attribute though sailing to a large part in how I see when I look at the landscape, even here 
is growing up on the ocean, there's nothing like it. It's kind of this kind of enjoying the vastness of it all, you know, mm -hmm. these large skies. In fact, I never really felt at home again because I, I moved to the mountains for a while, I lived in West Virginia. I lived a variety of places until I came west. And when I moved west, I, I moved in 2005 actually to Utah. And I fell in love with the- Salt Lake Valley? I actually, I, I, I started out in Salt Lake. It didn't last very long. I ended up in Park City for oh, the most part. Right. So I call myself from Park City because mm -hmm. my friends okay. yeah, hung out <laughs> Catherine there. Catherine from Park City. Yeah, well, I liked it there. And then um, in 2011, I, I moved here. So, and um, I really felt like I finally found home because mm -hmm. I think I moved to, first of all, I didn't move to, to Santa Fe proper. I moved to Galisteo, which mm. um, for those of you who don't know, it's like a huge, it's like desolate landscape and it's just infinite skies. I mean, skies. you're exposed, like, there you are, bring it on. How and do you, it felt how, like the ocean to how, me. Is that how you would describe uh, New Mexico light and landscapes? Based on like the ocean by, oh. uh, compared to wherever else you've been? Yeah. Isn't the light here spectacular? It's spectacular. You know, it's a par it's a really considered a painter's paradise for mm -hmm. a reason. There's something about, um, I, they say actually it's like the clear air mm -hmm. does something to the, it's like it does something to the particulate and the way that we see is different. And I said, another thing that kind of is a, a little bit interesting about my history is that I'm actually originally from the East. And I'm used to seeing um, the landscape filtered through humidity, for example, or kind of mist, mist which made me, uh, as a painter, kind of really sensitive to uh, neutrals and grays. In fact, when I first came to the West, I was doing more abstract type of work, but when I started getting to landscape, people says, your color system is really different. Nobody paints like that out here. Right. And what I noticed is there was a lot of bright color, and I didn't know how to kind of, kind of, I didn't quite know how to use that yet. And then I gradually learned, but through that, people would say, oh, look at that beautiful neutral you've hit. Look at that, you nailed that, like, you know, that, that warm, soft color there. And I noticed that I felt like I had a sensitivity to some of those neutrals that were necessary to then structure the rest of the painting on. So I kind of came with that vernacular and then kind of switched over a little bit. That was a pretty cool journey. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Far. I felt like when I moved to Galisteo, it was like kind of understanding this vastness. You almost felt like you were so exposed that you were just gonna like fade away or die or something. You know, when I moved here, people said to me this thing, they said, you know, if you move to Santa Fe, it'll eat you up and spit you out if you're not meant to be here. And I said, BS on that whole thing. And I'll tell you what, the first couple of years, I, I was humbled because I, I realized there's something to constantly being, feeling like you're exposed. You can't hide. There's no trees. There's no, nothing to go into. And I felt like the sky opened up in a way that I had to like, just kind of let go into it. And I think when I finally did, I figured out kind of my place in it and how to express it. So did um, coming out west, uh, is that where the transition happened into landscape? And, and yeah. is that because of the opening of the landscape and the skies and the light? Would you attribute it to that? Yeah, it's, um, I do. I felt compelled to express something about it because it's so fantastic and so like otherworldly. I mean, yeah, I've traveled in Japan and other countries and there's nothing about like the, the, the kind of American Southwest and yeah. the deserts. We, we, it's, it's spectacular. People come from all over the world to experience the light in the desert. How would you uh, say your landscapes differ 
from the average landscape painter out there? <laughs> that's a tough one sometimes to figure <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, how would you describe that's, it? That's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think for one thing is uh, my history. Um, I grew up um, sailing and then also rock climbing and I've traveled all over the world. And I've been in the landscape a lot. I mean, in a, in a, in a degree, such to the degree that when I paint a cliff face or something like that, I've actually had, I've been up there. You know, I've been in. in well, that's what I've noticed about you. Like, there's a lot of landscape artists and they, they go out there and they take all their photographs and they come back. But you seem more <laughs> plain air in oh, a yeah. lot of respects, right? Yeah. Because you like to be out there and experience the surroundings and capture the essence of light that you're permeated with right there yes yes and i can anticipate too because i used to climb as if you're going to do a rock climb you can look at, at one pinnacle that's showing at a different time of day it's washed and you can't see it against the backdrop mm -hmm. i can internalize that because because of climbing and looking at things oh. um another way is i tend to um I, you know, I'm, in a, I'm more of an interpretive painter, even though I'm a classically trained realist painter. So I can, uh, I'm interested in rendering the form so it's recognizable. I like that, but I like to straddle both recognizable and interpreted in the way that I like to interpret things is, how does it feel? Um, all of my work, or I'd say most of my work, is painted from places I've actually been. I've stood in front of each one of these scenes. So therefore, um, what I do is start with reference material, either plein air painting, sketch, or photo photo photographs, number of photographs. And I paint, um, I, I kind of get the base down, and then I take the photos and reference material and put them away. And I paint the rest of the painting by memory. Oh, right on. And, I, and if I'm caught, what I do, I say to myself is, what is it that compelled me to paint, to want to paint this image. And I connect with that original feeling about what was it. And sometimes these paintings will stew for years. So I don't rush back with my material and want to paint it. Like I've had some paintings that I- So you like block it up and you're like, oh, I'm gonna put this away for a while. And you come back to it or you're already slapping color and halfway through you're like, no, it's more in the reference material stage. Like I'll do a plein air and it'll sit for a while and I'll use the plein air to then paint a larger painting. And mm -hmm. even photographs, I've had places where they're so intriguing to me that um, once I do the reference material, I look at it, I'm not even sure that I can paint it. Yeah. I say to myself, I'm not ready for this. Mm -hmm. And I put it away and maybe I don't even think I'm going to do anything with it. And then all of a sudden, six years later, I pull it back out and I go, finally, my knowledge of where I need to go with, with meeting what the expectation is of doing the work comes together in one cataclysm, like, bam, I got this. And I, know, I just know what to do. Whereas six years ago, I couldn't even have approached it. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about your, your childhood experiences um, that had impact on you in your career. Yeah, so as we were talking earlier, I had a bit of a kind of less than conventional life as a child and I ended as it were I ended up actually leaving home at a very very young age for a variety of reasons and um, so I grew up very fast and I lived on my own and um, how old are, what age around 15 or 15? 16 I, I actually left home for good mm -hmm. and so that was a pretty young age for a person to be my age going to school and uh, running around Norfolk uh, in the waterfront area, but it tend, it actually turned out to be a good thing because I um, there was a place in Norfolk, Virginia, if you're familiar, it's called the waterfront, 
and off the waterfront, it's kind of waterside, there's actually a, an artist's studios in the back where during the day, I remember there'd be, you could go in and watch the artists work. It's almost like they were kind of behind cages, I used to think. They're in there working and you can walk and you can buy their work. And I used to go in there all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I used to go in there and actually hang out until they closed, because when they closed, they closed the front part where the public came in. And basically, I hung out with the artists, and they didn't know, because I was, you know, I was like 15 or 16, but I told them I was like 20-something, and they thought I was cool. And, and, and so I hung out with the groups of artists from being a, a young age. I would hang out in their studios, I'd hear what they were talking about, I'd hear... Uh, what their latest projects were, I'd see their printmaking press, and then all the antics of artists, you know, after hours parties and mm -hmm. things like that. So anyway, I had quite a full childhood that way. But lucky for me, I had a lot of mentors along the way. I felt like, I don't know what you'd call it, a higher power, whatever. The stars lined up such that I met people that kind of kept me on track. Uh, one of those people was um, Tom Crockett, who was my high school teacher. Oh, wow. Yeah, and... So he knew your age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in high school. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I know I had a, quite a number. Uh, Vic Frailing uh, was another one. I, had a, I went to a school. We had a wonderful art department. Um, I remember I used to think they, they treated us more like adults than kids, and mm -hmm. it felt it was a good transition for me. Um, and they took an interest in what I was doing, and I remember one particular time. It was a very defining moment for me was that my teacher, Tom Crockett, had actually seen me drawing and, you know, like a little book like this. And it had like a face and, you know, girls back in, you know, I do like eyes and the makeup and, you know, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty articulated. Like this is a picture of a, a girl right here. And he looked at that and he kind of looked at it and he, something clicked with him. And the next day he brought me two books and he didn't say much. And he handed me both books. And one book was about Gustav Klimt. Mm. Gustav Klimt is basically an artist that kind of paints pretty tight line drawings, but lots of texture and pattern. So his work is all very, you can imagine, very detailed. The other book was Larry Rivers, mm. the artist Larry Rivers. Um, in the 70s, he's quite popular. He does um, a lot of expressionist drawings. In fact, he would take like a portrait. It'd be the opposite. It was like he'd take a portrait and he would draw somebody and he'd scribble out one eye and there'd be one eye and half a face because he was a real expressionist, right? Mm -hmm. Well, without saying anything, he gave me these two books and he says, take them home, enjoy them. And I brought them back. I absorbed both of them. And I remember looking at Gustav Klimt was very interesting. I could see. And then Larry Rivers was like, there was something about it. There was something in this kind of like, I think it kind of aligned with probably some of my teenage angst and need to express. And there was something beyond just creating something that looked like something. It just connected. So I came back and I said, I like this book, Larry Rivers. And he, without speaking again, he took the other book away and never saw it again, Gustav Klimt. And from that moment on, he began training me. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I remember we do gesture drawing in class and I'd have a photograph I was drawing from. In, in, in the middle of it, he started doing this thing where he'd come over and he'd see what I was doing. He'd take it away. He'd take the reference material away. He'd say, finish the rest of my memory. Oh, that's cool. So let's talk about that, uh, your, your current thoughts about painting. Where are you at? <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting to talk about because I think that's a process that's always evolving. Mm -hmm. And I welcome the opportunity to kind of explore my own voice in that. And, and although tomorrow you, I might say something different. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's been important for me lately is, um, you know, 
I take in count, I taking account of the viewer because I tend to be pretty selfish actually in my work because people ask me, what do you paint? I actually say at this point in my career, whatever I want. And I really mean it actually. I don't necessarily paint the iconic scenes that people think like, oh, you should paint this because it's been painted time and time again. I do some of that, but I kind of paint spaces that are lesser known, but are important to me. But including the uh, viewer in that conversation um, is I wanna create something that's exciting for, to look at. I mean, on a very formalist level. Um, and on that note, it's interesting, I have this little dialogue in my head about like, in one sense, I'm a formalist. And what that means is I paint for the sake of painting. Like, I really just care about the paint. At the end of the day, one, I could say that it doesn't matter what I hang paint on. You know, I've been painting for 30 something years. I just love paint. I love it in physical form. Um, so on one sense, I'm a formalist. It doesn't really matter. On the other hand, I have this need to express something. And at this point in my life, um, what I've been kind of drawn to is uh, creating scenes that even though they're grand, are also intimate. Mm. That way, way it gives a, a place for the viewer to be in it, in the scene. So you're capturing a little bit of emotion in there with your paint. Sure, sure. And you know, I don't leave out details, even though my work is not super detailed, there'll be a detail like a moon, uh, that bridge, people paint that painting with the bridge and they leave the bridge out, but that's part of the experience of actually being there. And I think it allows, it, it kind of gives a sense of my confidence in the viewer mm -hmm. to take it in and to find their place to in interpret it. interpret it. Yeah, I, I kind of give passageways for people to be in the scene and to step in it and look around. I see a, a, a great balance of detail and looseness in your work. It's, it's a good balance. It's not all tight and rigid, mm -hmm. um, but yet there's a lot of definition still going on in there. And it's, it's beautiful work. And the other, the other thing I noticed about you is that you also teach. Yes. How many students do you have? Oh, right now, just a handful of students right now. I'm keeping it small, but in a normal year, you know, I teach not just in my atelier where I have a program and I work with students on a, on a regular basis, a weekly basis, sometimes for, you know, students will be in the program for a couple of years mm -hmm. before they feel ready to go out on their own. I also teach workshops in various other places. And when I do a workshop, I've taught as many as 25 students at one time. <laughs> and I give demos. I really uh, like to give demos. Um, and my big uh, thing that I've done is early on in my teaching career, I guess, um, someone says, oh, you know, do you get paint on you and this? And I said, heck no. I, I, I <laughs> You're actually, all your clothes, especially I know. <laughs> I've learned after all these years that you get the paint on the canvas and not on yourself. And actually, when I give a demo, so my, my little kind of shtick is I give a demo in a dress and high heels shoes oh well, yeah and I give a demo so yeah. people come to see my demos and, and they're like wow she really doesn't get paint on her I don't always wear a dress but my point is taken is yes. like the paint goes on the canvas I teach people um, systems uh, systems in order to like to yeah to achieve a, a fine work of art or you know whatever they're wanting to do with that just getting the paint on the canvas well we've had a few of our clients uh, take your classes and <laughs> and, the, and the pressure you gotta look at Catherine's work you gotta check her out <laughs> yeah. yeah and so we, we appreciate um, those people as well oh <laughs> they're they're great I love having them and I should mention that um, with along with the teaching is that I'm actually sponsored by a paint an artist materials company 
Holbein artist materials. So all my paint is from is Holbein oil paints and a lot of their products. Um, it was a game changer. I mean, I tell my students all the time, it matters what you're, what you're using, what you're using. So anyway, I have to thank them because I wouldn't be here without them. It was a total game changer. Yeah, people, people don't realize that. I mean, we, we have uh, a painting come in from a collection recently and um, it's probably about 20 years old, but it, it's like calcification started happening within the painting. Yeah. And the, the, whiteness was starting to apply into the landscape and like this doesn't look mm -hmm. right and sure enough the artist is like yeah he's got paint and it has to come back and redo it but um yeah yeah so that that's important that congratulations on that that's nice thank you thank you well i think we have enough for today uh thank you catherine for oh. uh, showing up for a blue rain uh, podcast <laughs> and i uh, would like to encourage everybody to subscribe mm -hmm. on youtube and spotify or uh, apple podcast and uh, follow us. I think um, our next uh, podcast after Catherine will be uh, Chris Papin. And uh, we look forward to having more of these podcasts. Please support these artists. They are great. They've worked hard, especially like Catherine's case, 30 years plus, right? Mm -hmm. Every day, every day. It's a journey. Anyways, thank you again, Catherine. Thank you, Leroy. <laughs> thank you, Blue Rain. <laughs> hey, on away. Hey, oh. Hey, yo. Hey, yo.